This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, welcome and welcome. This is um, Julie Middleton speaking, expedition leader, and this is our 28th expedition podcast. Over the last few weeks, I have been talking to midwives, midwives all over the world. And I've been talking to them about leadership and I have learned so much and grown so much in the process and am enchanted, overwhelmed by midwives. And of all the midwives I've spoken to, I've chosen five to interview for this podcast. One is Sylvia Hamata, another is Harriet Nayiga, another is Olajumoke Adebayo, Another is Lucicello Simwinga, and another is Naha Mankani. They're amazing. You have to now sit back and you have to just take this in. They are midwives. So basically, there are two threads to this episode talking to midwives. The first is to talk to them about how much leadership learning we can all glean from their leadership experience of being in the room, being a a midwife. And there's so much to learn, but particularly on the issue of listening, which is sort of right at the top of their list as a leader who's in the labour room. And then the other half of this episode is really talking to them about how do you cope with the fact that when you're in the labour room, you are so much the leader, listening hard. But when you move outside the labour room into the wider world, the wider world of health, the wider world generally, you, you step into a world that doesn't listen to you and where your voice is almost unheard. I hope you love this because I love this episode. So the first person to speak to is Sylvia. And she just jumped straight in to the first question. One of the things we talked about when we first met was what you had learnt about leadership from literally the maternity room, the delivery room. Yeah. What you learnt about, I would say, trust. Talk to me. I think the first patient, I tried to practice what I have learned in the city where I trained, and it was not working because, firstly, I was not confident in myself, and it, I believe it showed to the woman because then the woman also didn't look like she had any confidence in me at all because I was frantic. I was up and about. I, I knew the theory, but the practice was a whole lot different. So... I think I would carry my my textbooks with 
to the world. And I that's when I really prayed a lot at that time. I asked the Lord to come and guide me as I as I help these women because I didn't really trust in my skills. So I think I just thought myself, you know what, I'm going to have to trust these women so that they inform me what it is that they are going through, what it is that their body is telling them. And then I will use my knowledge to meet with their information halfway. So I would tell the women, let me know what you are going through, what your body is telling you now. And from what I've learned, like when there's a contraction, when there's whatever, I know what to check for. But at least I trusted her to let me know what was happening within her. And it really worked because the women felt in charge of this process. And I also felt good because then now I was able to really tell when something is going wrong, but most instances, nothing is going wrong. And then you just deliver a very healthy baby. And I really learned that um, when I didn't so much trust the women, when I was following what I had learned in practice, the way you are in charge of this delivery, women were not being really cooperative because they didn't understand what you're trying to do. And I think being in an unfamiliar environment, it made them even more anxious. But when I told them, you know what, um, we are going to deliver this baby, uh, do let me know what's happening to you now. Do let me know how I can help you. They were really, really cooperative. Uh, and they believed I was the best midwife ever, but they didn't know that it's because I was really not confident in my own skills at the time. But it worked out in the best way. So it's when you learn about leadership from those uh, moments that um, you know, trust the people. When you are in a position where you are leading a person to achieve a, person, a, a certain goal, trust them. They know better the process. They know what it is. And I think just be in the position where you use your knowledge and your skills to guide them, and, um, and which requires you as a person to be knowledgeable, at least. And that's why I carry my textbooks all the time. Uh, if there's something that I think I didn't know, then I would run to my textbook at that moment. It was really quite an, an eye-opener as well, um, how women felt that they mattered during this process. What I learned from leadership Mm-hmm. that I find so powerful in that story is that if you trust the women, then the women start to trust you. So in a way, your definition of leadership is sort of let people do it, let them get on with it. And your job is to provide guidance, but your job is also to accept guidance. Yeah, yes. Because you can't guide a person who you are not free or ready to accept guidance from as well. So much leadership. And yet, when you walk out of that room, your voice isn't heard. It sort of makes no sense. So we'll come back to what happens outside the room when you are, as Sylvia says, just a midwife. But for the moment, let's stay in the room. Nayiga talked to me about the patience you need as a leader in that room and explained the difference between empathy and sympathy. Fascinating. As leaders, there is no way we can lead without uh, patience because in many situations, other people are looking unto us for support. 
and not all the times we shall have what they need. Many times we shall need to say no, and we mean no, so that we are not pressurized by, pressured by the needs of the people around us. However, we are there to attend to them. You still stand with them uh, with empathy, with compassion that you care. However, they might not get what they need at that particular moment. Also results, as leaders, we should be result oriented. Many times we wait for a result and they do not come as we expect them to come. And we need to be patient. So as a leader, I need to be patient most of the time so that I, I, I am effective at my work, so that I allow the natural processes to take course. Crucial to this is the difference between empathy and sympathy. Is that right? Being empathetic, a person, a patient is in need, sometimes urgent or emergent, and she thinks she needs something. But according to you, as a midwife or a healthcare provider, it is not what she needs at that moment. So I have to boldly tell that person that this is not right. And also she may be going through a painful experience and your heart or your mind may be taken up to go down and cry with her and fail to provide the necessary care. So during her painful experience, I stand with her to show her the love and care, but I remain strong and standing on the truth. That is being empathetic. Because when you are sympathetic, you may become so weak to help this mother appropriately. The skill and the judgment and the sheer leadership skills are sort of overwhelming. And also, I suppose the burden and the risks seem to me to be completely terrifying. So. I asked Ola what she does when she has a sense of panic occasionally, which surely even even midwives must feel sometimes. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I think when you, first of all, you have to be aware that you panic about things. I need to know what triggers you to start panicking. Another thing is once you know you're panicking about something, it means you can't make very good decisions at that time. You need to get another colleague to help you and accept that at this point, you are quite useless to the woman. You are panicking and your mind is everywhere. So when I panic about things, I ask for help. I just always ask for help. <laughs> and then I try to breathe and say, okay, and calm down. I excuse myself so that I don't make any mistakes because any mistake you make at that point can really go a long way. So I breathe and excuse myself, ask for help and when I feel better, I come back in. That's all. I don't have any magic trick to it. Just basically um, ask for help. Ask for help. You don't hide the fact that you're panicking to the to the woman. No. I mean, we're all human. <laughs> I mean, it's when you're vulnerable that people are also vulnerable with you. You have to be able to open up to, to patients. I, I find that sometimes when I even have personal problems and I just 
bring it out a bit. They go, oh, you know, you could try this that I'm not even aware of. And then I get home and I try it and I'm like, oh, wow, that worked. <laughs> so you really don't have all the knowledge, even if you're a health professional. And I like to listen to women. A lot of times we don't listen. It's, it's, very, it's very tempting to be a health professional because you have all the knowledge and you assume things before they happen. You assume things for your patients, you assume things for women. And we forget that everybody's unique with their bodies, with their persons, how they react. Everybody has a unique personality. So I like to always listen. And I remember that there are times where listening to the pain points of my patients has actually helped to prevent something disastrous happening. They go, oh, because in Nigeria, they still use nurse for everybody. They use my surname. So nurse Adibayo, ah, I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not comfortable? And then she tells me, oh, this is this. And I'm like, okay. So like, check again. I'm like, are you sure? I've checked and I don't think anything. But since you say I should check it, I will check again. And then I go back to check and then I realize, oh my gosh, okay, we need to do something about it. So listening helps a whole lot. And in doing that, I'm for you to be able to listen, you have to make sure that every assumption, every knowledge you think you have, you need to drop it. You need to remove yourself from that high source of power that you think, oh, I have all the knowledge. I'm here to, to deliver this baby. You need to come down from that high horse and say, okay, I need to listen. So what's wrong with you? Do you feel comfortable this way? Do you feel like anything is wrong with you? Okay, if you feel this way, let me know. And because of um, the, real, the real meaning of midwife is to be with woman. And I think it's because it's called midwife. We always forget what we're supposed to do. We are there to birth the woman. If you are not there to birth with the woman, she will still birth anyways, because the body is designed to do that. You're just there to ensure that there are no complications. And if you spot any complications, because she's vulnerable and can do things on her own, you are able to help her making good decisions and take her through and prevent anything. So I try to ensure that every form of power that I think I have, I strip myself of that and ensure that I'm working with the woman, I'm listening to her, I'm empathetic with her. And you find that women respond to things like this. Once they see that you listen to them, they will tell you everything. They don't keep things from you. They tell you everything. They warm up to you. And then they know, okay, this person has my interest as that. And they begin to trust you that way. Especially when... They, they say something, you listen to them, and then you respond to it also. Even if you're not able to do something, but you still try to explain to them that, okay, I'm not able to do this, but this is what I can do. Is that fine with you? Or what do you think we should do? Women would always respond to you. I think that's the most beautiful answer. <laughs> Thank you. Sometimes you don't even need to give a response. Sometimes you just say, I understand. I hear you. I'm very sorry about that. And, and like, you're fine. Sometimes we feel we have to always give our opinion about something. Sometimes people don't need your opinion. Just listen. They just need you to listen. And you know, sometimes you find that someone says, thank you for listening. I just needed that. <laughs> I've tested it several times. And people just say, I, I, I. but we, we think that, okay, as health professionals, um, as this woman is complaining to us, I just need to give her all the facts and details and everything. But it doesn't really work like that. Sometimes just, just listen and take in all the emotions that happening at that time if you've learned the power of listening so strongly how do you cope when you go outside the bubble of midwifery and nobody listens <laughs> um okay so this is very frustrating too <laughs> i think i've also come to terms with the fact that i listen to people doesn't mean people will listen to me that's the first thing i did to myself i had to come to terms with that um, not everybody's listening to you it's very frustrating for me if i'm very honest with you Thank you.
And so Ola takes us to the second question in this episode, which is devoted to midwives. It's a question that, I mean, if we've learned so much about leadership in the room from Sylvia, from Naiga, from Ola, now let's go outside the room to the outside world generally and to the world of health, where every single midwife that I have spoken to tells me they have no voice. So I went back first to Sylvia. Describe to me what it feels like to have no voice. It's suffocating. To have no voice is very suffocating because there's so much that you see, so much that needs to be said and so much that will go on without your voice. And it's, um, it's really suffocating. I think that's the best way I could, I could, I could describe it uh, because really you want to say something Nobody would listen to you. You see, not always wrong, but you see things that are not right and you, you are not in a position to say so. So it's really, really suffocating. And I suppose you just sort of simply, you sort of open your mouth and nothing comes out. Yes. Um, I mean, imagine being in a position where you're opening your mouth and there isn't anybody to, to listen to you. What's the point? Does it almost make you feel that you, just, that you have nothing to say and that maybe you don't have a voice because what you have to say isn't worth saying? Does it make you lose your own confidence in yourself? Oh, yes. Yes. You, you start doubting yourself. You start doubting yourself. Maybe the reason why nobody's listening to me is because uh, what I say is, is, doesn't mean anything. Uh, maybe it's, it's really, maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I don't reason good enough. Uh, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe I'm wrong. It brings out doubts. You start doubting yourself and you become, you, you stay away. You pull back and you go back into that little corner where you, it's, it's safer if you don't say anything because you don't want to be criticized. You are scared of what people would say if you speak out. And then you, you, you remain uh, this person who really doubts yourself and are not sure on what to, to do, what to say, and really wondering if you belong in any case. And that's that's the part where you, you just become this person. I think the most the, the message that you get is I'm not good enough. I think that's that's and once you get into that moment, you are not good enough. You stay quiet. And when you are quiet, it will only be one day when you realize being quiet or when you, it, it, you just boil and then everything comes out at once. And that's when everybody sees the emotional part of it because it's mixed. It doesn't make sense. It's irrational because it's all about you are trying to bring to the table things that have come around, that have been going on for quite some time and they don't even make sense at that time because you are trying to put everything together. And I think that's where you, you are viewed as this person who is irrational, emotional, and um, being asked, are you sure you are okay? It was at that time of the month. And I think that's the most degrading statement ever, <laughs> which is used to, 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 to shut you up in a way and to, to demean you. Uh, once you are asked, are you sure it's not that moment of the month? And you're like, oh, especially if it's really that part of that moment of the month. And you, you, you start doubting yourself, really. But it, it's not necessarily because it's that moment of the month. But it's because you have something to say. But it's demeaned or it, it's downgraded to the emotional part of it. 
So yeah, it's quite frustrating. And you you you, you become a perpetually frustrated person that uh, even when there's something good happening, you might you might miss it because you just see everything that is wrong. Every even when there is little bit of improvement over an area, you just see it as wrong because you are so frustrated and um, yeah. You've been there, haven't you, Sylvia? Yeah, I have been. <laughs> yeah, I have. I've been in those positions. I left my, I left midwifery, practicing mid, uh, midwifery because of that. I just felt I was not heard. And in the instances when I had an audience, it was not an audience that was there to hear me. It was an audience that was there to, to understand why I'm wrong, basically. So... Yeah, we, I've been there. I've, uh, I've experienced it all. Sometimes you just start taking action. If nobody wants to listen to you, you, you start taking action. And then maybe you say, okay, maybe if I do this, then they are going to hear me. Just take action uh, and let it, let it be. Um, I think I, when you spoke earlier, I spoke to you about the provision of family planning and immunization to women and children in the facility where I work at. And... The services were scheduled for, I think it was Wednesdays of the week, every Wednesday of the week, mornings. And our uptake of those services was very, very poor because the region where I was practicing in, um, I think the only mode of employment that was there was uh, farm working. Women were picking grapes. So we're not really having uptake of the services because women would not spend the whole morning at the facility waiting for family planning and immunization and lose out on an income. So when one of them came to the hospital with a child that was not well and I found that the immunizations were not up to date, I started offering uh, immunizations at night. As soon as I have an opportunity, I have contact with a child, then I would provide immunization. And the mothers would also take it for granted. They're like, oh, sister, I can also have uh, my contraceptives. They're like, okay. So that was a, a, a challenge when it was found out uh, because I was moving outside the norms of the policy, which services should only be given for that. I'm, I'm, understandably so, it was good for planning, but for me, it was not making sense. Um, you have these services for the people, but if people are not making use of it, what's the point? So I think I had to act out. I had to act out for it to be uh, noticed. And it didn't go without a warning, but at least uh, the policy was changed. So you resort to really, really unconventional means to get attention. If it, so, yeah, it, it, it's how we cope when nobody's listening to you. What triggered you or what flipped you? What inspired you to suddenly get a voice? Because listening to you now, there is no doubt you have a voice. I think it really it, it matters when you have somebody talking to you and telling you, you matter. Your voice uh, deserves to be heard. Your experiences deserve to be heard. And there's no right or wrong to anything in life. You just share. And yeah, all of a sudden you are hearing that you are not the only one who has self-doubt issues, that all the women that you see around you uh, who are doing great things, they do so even when they are scared, they doubt themselves, they ask themselves whether they are good enough, and but they still have gone on to do great things. So it was, a, it was good for me to see that, you know what, this, what I think of myself is normal, um, I suppose. And don't be scared about whether you are in a team of highly uh, achieved people 
they know what they know and you know what you know don't dim yourself for anybody else they know what they know and you know what you know sylvia's words are ringing in my head and ringing i then went on to talk to lucicello who has a very has to be honest very little experience of good leaders very few good leaders who've ever said to her how much she matters mostly her experience has been of bosses not leaders have a listen so a boss I think a boss will lead you, will, will order you around, like, do this. You have to do this. And when you, t- maybe you try to tell them how it's, it can be properly done, they will crush you. The, the bosses will feel like they know everything, right? They will not, they will not want anyone to tell them what to do. They will, they will not want anyone to, to provide, like, their decisions in the matter. But then a boss, a, a leader, leads the way. Leaders will say, let's do this. Let's do this together. Yeah. And when, when someone, maybe the, the subordinate is providing some decision on, on what they're talking about, they'll, they'll try, try to adapt. They'll not uh, literally abandon the, the decision. Maybe they'll adapt. Let's do it like this. Yeah. While leading the way and knowing what to do in the process without ordering the people around. Have you worked for many bosses? I've worked for bosses uh, and I've worked for leaders as well. Tell me what impact the two of them have on you. So on me personally, I think the bosses, they bring out aggressiveness and defensive from me because as soon as I've known that this one is a boss and not a leader, I will not listen to them. I will not be a good subordinate. But once I've known that I'm working under a leader, I become defenseless. Because I know this one knows what she's doing or he's doing, and I'm glad to work under them. I'm glad to to follow what they want to uh, they want to tell me. Because leaders mostly they also try to teach you because you cannot know everything. So they'll make you grow in your career. They'll make you grow as a person as well. But a boss, I think the boss will only want you to help them advance their own goals, to advance their own careers. I almost tremble at the thought of Lucy Shello when she's decided not to be a good subordinate. Not an easy task for a boss to take on. But I then I thought I'd ask her about whether there was ever a leader that she'd actually forgiven. So I was I was on night duty and we had a client, a woman who was in labour, and so she had she had a fetal distress her baby was going into fetal distress it was at night so we were supposed to call the theater team to come uh, operate on the woman but then we did not have a fuel in the car that was at the hospital so uh, the theater team did, did not come up until the, the woman lost her baby in utero so when when the boss came when we we, we inquired further they said that the boss's car uh, it was a government car, but then uh, it was in service of the boss. So they said the boss's car had fuel, but then the other cars at the hospital did not ha- have fuel. So in the morning, I went to the boss, and then I confronted him, like, your car had fuel, but then we, we lacked fuel to go collect the theater team to help this woman up until we lost the baby. So the boss was quick to... Or the, 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 um, the leader, now I'll say the leader was quick to say, 
I'm very sorry that happened to you. And from now onwards, you can use my car for when, when you want to improve the client's health. So that earned him a lot of respect from me. I was like a leader who can say sorry to a subordinate. I have so much respect for this leader. So let's move on to Neha. I, I asked her just how bad does it get? Is it just that younger midwives suffer or does Neha suffer as well? I've been in labor rooms, I've been with obstetricians, I've been with in rooms, in big meetings, and I felt like someone's asked a question. I've known exactly what the answer is, but I couldn't vocalize my answer because I didn't have the confidence for it because I had always felt like, oh, as a midwife, why would I know the answer to this question or why would what I have to say be important? And that is a very good example of not having a voice because I literally didn't have one in that, that situation. Or if someone... Um, if you're sitting with 10 people and you answer a question, but someone else talks over you, again, you feel like your voice doesn't matter and that makes you voiceless, essentially. What's the emotion that sort of it stirs up inside you? I think what I would say is a lot of times it was frustration. And that frustration in a lot of times would kind of translate to, it does translate to anger, I would say, in a lot of places. And it does translate to, it's anger, it's frustration, it's disappointment. And when you do have a voice? So when you have a voice, when you feel like you believe in the work that you do, it also kind of starts reflecting in how you work. Like if I have the confidence, I know that what I'm thinking is right. I don't second guess my own work. I don't second guess my own beliefs. I don't second guess my own values. It starts reflecting in how I work as well. It changes the quality of my work. It changes the integrity of my work. Um, so I think it's very interesting that way, like how it kind of changes the outputs and what you put into the universe and into the world. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you change, you used the expression when we spoke, fake it till you make it, but then you changed it, act it till you make it. Uh, tell me <laughs> your logic. A lot of people, when they're put into new situations, and this is something that's happened to me, I think it's happened to a lot of people around us where they're put in new situations where they don't actually know how they will navigate navigate these situations or whether they have in them what it takes and you know an example of this is just when the same kind of situation with midwives where they're put in situations where they don't know if they are going to be able to deal with it and the first few times you tell people there are a lot of times I've seen this happen so much where people midwives will say yeah I know I know how to deal with this case I know how to deal with this situation I can deal with this emergency but they probably at that point are really really scared but like the first 10 times that you tell yourself that, yes, I can do it, you, the 11th time, you'll actually be able to do it. And so that's true of clinical skills, but it's also true of our earlier conversation of finding your voice that the first, you know, I think I know so many people who have imposter syndrome because the first they, they're put into situations where they don't actually know if the answers that they're saying or the value that's been assigned to them should be there. Um, where, you know, why am I being treated with so much importance? Am I an important person? But then you'll see, you'll hear yourself and you're in that situation and you'll hear what you're saying and you hear how people are responding to you and you say, okay, maybe I shouldn't have imposter syndrome. Maybe I really am who people think I am. So that's part of my, you know, fake it till you make it or act it till you make it process that I think about quite often. And, and it even happens when you are as successful as you are. Even now, I've had a lot of speaking opportunities over the past few years, but I Every time I would enter that room, whether it's a virtual room or real room, I would think, why would anyone want to hear what I have to say? Except it was exactly like that. Like I spoke, I've, 
after the first few times, I realized that maybe my input is important. Maybe what I'm saying is relevant on some level. And it just kind of comes together in the exact same way that when you give people opportunities to kind of hear what their own thoughts are, it just changes how they start thinking about themselves. So to end these discussions with midwives, I went back to Ola, who talked about the need to strip yourself of power when you're in the room. But she then qualified that because, as she says, when you go out of the room, you can't afford to strip yourself of power. You might even have to do the opposite. One of the things you're saying is that a lot of leadership is about stripping yourself of your own power. Yes. You have to be very conscious of whatever power you have in whatever setting and know how best to use it. When it's a man's space or a masculine space, those type of things won't work because they don't function with that. You have to hold your power. So you definitely have to know when you hold your power and use your power. It's a very tricky balance for you. Hang on, let me just go back on that. What you just said, I think, was you shouldn't strip yourself of power if you're in the man's space. Yes, yes. Because if you're in a man's space, men don't strip themselves of power. Let's start with that. They don't function with that. So if you're in man's space and you strip yourself of power, I don't think it will help you. I mean, in our in our space, our daily space, our everyday spaces, I have experienced walking into a masculine space or a space filled with men. And as a woman, I don't even feel that powerful. And then the little power I have, I try to ensure that I hold on to it so that I don't get intimidated or I don't get thrown to the back. So if you're in a man's space or a masculine dominated space, I don't think that's the best place to strip yourself of power. Because <laughs> it's going to... You find that you get, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, you get thrown to the back. So you have to be very conscious of that. I would not um, hold on to so much power when I'm having to deal with a woman in labor because that's a very vulnerable space. But a masculine space is not vulnerable. That's not where to strip yourself and be vulnerable. In fact, if you're not careful, <laughs> they would use your vulnerability against you. So they would say, oh, I mean, you still get the, if you're a woman, you can't do it properly. So why would I want to strip myself of the little power that I have in a masculine space? I don't think I want to do that. (laughs) So it's a tricky balance, if if I'm being honest. (laughs) Thank you, Sylvia. And thank you, Harriet. And thank you, Ola. And thank you, Lucy Shello. And thank you, Naha. I have found this episode utterly transfixing. I tried to make a list, and it became quite a long list, is the truth, of all the things that I, it's actually, it's got 15 points. (laughs) Um, What did I take? Leaders have to listen, have to listen actively and ask questions and show people they're listening. Leaders have to get it really clearly across that we're doing this together. Third, leaders have to trust people and then they begin to trust you. Fourth, you have to give and accept guidance. It's two-way. Five, Patience is so crucial. Judging the timing of things is so crucial. Six, the difference between empathy and sympathy. Seven, remember to be human, to open up, to ask for help. Eight, to strip yourself of power, to come off your high horse, but only when you can afford to. Nine, to get out of the way as a leader. Ten, to speak up and not 
boil over in anger because you haven't. 11, to tell people that they matter. 12, to remember that you're not the only one with doubts. 13, to say you're sorry. 14, to keep going and know that the 10th time you do it, you'll do it even better. And maybe 15, to give other people opportunities. What a golden list. I'm going to do more with midwives. I'm not I'm not walking away from this. I uh, I'm fascinated by by midwives and their leadership skills and um uh, I'm going to work. I'm determined with the um ICM to reach out to more midwives. If if you want to come and join us, let's talk. Let's talk a lot about leadership. I'm fascinated by it. So today is Wednesday. On Friday, our next live for the expedition happens at 9am UK time on Friday, the 30th of September. Um, I'm afraid most of you in North America and South America will be fast asleep. I'm sorry, but lots of other people in the world will be awake. So we'll, we'll have some fun. We'll answer each other's questions. We'll talk about the expedition and we'll talk about other things. And particularly, I'd be with, um, if you remember, All the Lives always has another member of the expedition part of it. And this time it's Fatima. So it'll be Fatima and I. Fatima is a member of the expedition and I answering all your questions either about the expedition or perhaps about Fatima's passion which is um, because she's based in Brussels. How do cities where so many cultures meet together um, thrive because of them being the centre point of many cultures meeting together? So it'll be fun. Come and join us, 9am UK time on this Friday. So that's in two days' time. In the meantime, much love. Much love to everybody who is a midwife out there. Please, please, please tell me your stories. I have learned so much from them. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love you to follow the expedition and provide your own stories and perspectives. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the Women Emerging Group on LinkedIn, where you can have your say.